haven't met yet, my name is David Norris. I'm the mission pastor here at Wellspring. No. That's, I had to even the score. Out, when we were outside in the summer, do you all remember that? Mike once introduced himself as the worship pastor. So I just kind of had to set the record straight. My, I'm, I'm the worship pastor here. I'm delighted to be with you today and to share from God's word. And I do have a couple quick announcements, uh, other things to put before you. Uh, Holy Week is fast approaching. Uh, two weeks from today is Palm Sunday, which... Uh, marks the beginning of the end, in some ways, of the earthly life and ministry of Jesus. And so on that Sunday, which is April 10th, we'll have normal service times, 8.30 and 10.30. Maundy Thursday is going to be at 6 p.m., one service. Good Friday, two services, one at 6 and then 7.30. And then on Resurrection Sunday, uh, we're going to have three services, and we invite you to register for the one that you plan to attend, 8 9.30 and 11 all in the morning. We want to make sure that we kind of evenly spread things out and we want to make sure we have extra room for those from our neighborhood, family members and friends who might come but might not register. So we ask you to do that and uh, we're looking forward to it. We're actually planning to do baptisms on Resurrection Sunday. And uh, we, our next baptism class is actually on April 10th. Uh, the week before. And so after the second service, you can come learn about baptism and maybe even be baptized or have your children baptized in Jesus' name on Resurrection Sunday. We would love that. We're going to rejoice in that. In addition to uh, my role as the worship pastor, I found myself a few years ago involved in this little grassroots ministry called Transformational Prayer. You might have heard of it, you might know what it is, you might not have. Uh, we're, we're really actually still in this kind of equipping season. And, and to that end, uh, just want to invite you, tomorrow evening we're launching another formation lab, which are what, classes, ways in which we, we are not only learned but are formed in Jesus. And Patty Stitcher is going to be facilitating that class. Patty's here, right there. And we've got 18 signed up already, which is amazing, and we want more because we believe that the Lord has called us to be a people of prayer. And that class is going to basically walk through some of the foundations of what we call transformational prayer. So if you're curious, curious about that, interested in that, we invite you to that as well. And the practice of Jesus that we're focusing on today is going to be the practice of prayer. What is your relationship with prayer like? I imagine it's fairly complex. Uh, not just because of how I look at my own life, but conversations that I have with people. We have kind of a complex relationship with prayer, don't we? In one sense, prayer is incredibly simple and foundational. Most of us would see it as beneficial or even essential in our Christian faith and our catechism defines prayer as simply turning my heart toward God to listen and to speak with him. Prayer in its basic definition is communication with God or maybe even communion with God. Prayer is, is woven throughout our service. Do you know if you are part of this church, you come to a prayer service every Sunday morning. This is a prayer service. Our liturgy is pulled from the book of common prayer. We pray beginning, middle, and end, and all throughout. Our service is a service of prayer. We've prayed through song this morning. We've prayed in liturgy, and we're going to continue to do so. Even at the table, 
The liturgy that we use are called the Eucharistic prayers. It's this relatively basic or fundamental piece of the Christian faith and of other faiths, by the way. And yet we, we struggle with prayer, don't we? We struggle maybe to pray or to understand prayer and how my prayer interacts with God and God's will. We maybe struggle with prayer because we're radically disappointed. For many of us, prayer can be a source of pain. These things that we bring to God and ask, God, would you, could you, do you find it in your will? We struggle at times with prayer. And my hope uh, today, oh, by the way, I want to tell you that you're not alone in that struggle. It's strangely comforting to read theologians and pastors like Tim Keller and J.I. Packer, who in their books on prayer write about their own struggles and are transparent with that in their lives and in their ministries. I felt a little bit comforted in that. <laughs> and maybe you do this morning. If you're, you're at a place today where you would say, Prayer is a struggle, it's difficult, maybe it's a duty. I know I have to do it, I know I probably should do it, but I don't really want to, I don't really get it. You're in good company today. Let's come to Jesus together and with the disciples say, Lord Jesus, teach us to pray. Jesus was a man of prayer. When I was thinking about what text to use for today, prayerfully just reading through different passages, I thought of the Lord's Prayer. That seemed pretty obvious. I didn't, I'm not going to end up going through the Lord's Prayer line by line, although in your private prayer practice, that's a great way to go through our Father in heaven. Holy is your name. Just spend some time glorifying the Father. Your kingdom come, your will be done, right? You can go through it that way, but that's not the text that I'm preaching this morning. I thought about Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, which we are going to touch on at the end, just this, this Jesus pouring out his heart and then being responsive to the will of God in his life. But there is this one verse in Luke chapter 5 that just grabbed me by the throat and wouldn't let me go. And it was just, I thought, okay, I'm going to yield to this. I'm going to do it. And Katie read it earlier, and, and we have this, uh, this episode where Jesus cleanses a person from leprosy. This is a radical thing that only Jesus can do. And the crowds are pressing in. Luke 5, 16. The crowds press in, but Jesus would withdraw to desolate places and pray. That just gripped me. And it actually, it kind of struck me as odd at first glance. I thought, Jesus, who is God, withdraws to pray to God. <laughs> Seems a little bit odd. Hi. Hi. How are you? Good. Like... <laughs> At first glance, at first glance, it seems odd, and yet we're going to see it actually makes, it makes perfect sense. I'm going to go through three things in this time when Jesus would withdraw to desolate places and pray. I think we can see at least three things that he gets out of this prayer. Prayer enables him, actually, to do three things, and I'm going to give them to you up front, and we'll just unpack them in the time that we have. First and foremost, Jesus withdraws to enjoy God's presence to receive God's power, and then to submit to God's will. That's what we're going to look at. This is what Jesus, this is why I think he withdraws to the desert to pray, to be with God, to enjoy God's presence, to receive God's power, and then to submit to God's will. And I want to suggest to you, we ought to do the same 
If, if Jesus was a man of prayer and Jesus would withdraw to the desert, to desolate places to pray, how much more should we? It strikes us as odd, but if we just think about who Jesus is for long enough, it makes perfect sense that he, as God, the Son of God, second person of the Trinity, would want to be with Father and Spirit in the desert. Jesus, for 30 years, has been a man who lived on the earth. But prior to that, the Son of God, eternally existent with the Father and the Spirit, three in one, perfect communion, perfect love, perfect delight, being with one another, three in one. That's why it makes perfect sense that Jesus would withdraw to the desert simply to be with Father and Spirit. In fact, I, I want to suggest to you today that this is not actually something that's on the periphery, on the side of the good news of the gospel, that being with God is actually at the heart of the good news of Scripture. We can see it in God's creation. God created humanity in a perfect world, and he is with them in the garden. The fall creates some serious complexity in that withness, doesn't it? And yet Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, is the great story of redemption. And what's that marvelous declaration in Revelation 21 at the end of all things? What's that, 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 that amazing word that we should hear today? Behold, the dwelling of God is with humanity. Being with God is actually at the center of the biblical narrative. And Jesus, in this withdrawing, wants to be with God. Richard Foster in the Celebration of Discipline says this, in the midst of an exceedingly busy ministry, exceedingly busy, does that resonate with you? Good descriptor of our culture. In the midst of an exceedingly busy ministry, Jesus made a habit of withdrawing to a lonely place apart, to desolate places. He did this not just to be away from people, Sorry, introverts. But so that he could be with God. What, what did Jesus do time after time in those deserted hills? He sought out his heavenly father. He listened to him, communed with him, and he beckons us to do the same. Do you have a desolate place today? In our Bible reading plans and our prayer plans, it's, isn't it amazing how we can come up with these elaborate schemes and really sometimes the simplest thing is the best thing. Withdraw to a desolate place and pray. Find a lonely space. Jesus is a 30-year-old single man, so his practice might look different than yours. I think we have a lot of kind of leeway in terms of how this practice gets embedded into our lives. Maybe on a commute to and from work, Maybe you do wake up early in the morning before anybody's up in your house. You find a desolate place to be with Jesus. But I, do you have one? Jesus had one. Recurringly, he would withdraw. I think we need those places. Yes, the Christian life, ultimately the hope, the prayer, is that our whole life would be a prayer to God. But we can't bypass this desolate place, this place where we are alone with the Father and communing with him. We withdraw. Jesus withdrew, and I think we withdraw, should withdraw to a desolate place. First, just to enjoy the presence of God. And second, to receive God's power. Do you have a desolate place where you can pour out your heart to the Lord, where you can pray 
that God would intervene, that God's power would be infused into your life? Do you have a place where you can say, Lord, these are the things that I need. These are the things that I want. I think Jesus actually withdrew to pour out his heart to the Father in this way. I'm going to show you in just a second. But before that, a quote from Charles Spurgeon, who in preaching on this text says this in a way that only he can. He says, oh, for a revival of those glorious, violent prayers which flew like hotshot against the battlements of heaven. Hotshot is a freight train. Oh, for more moving of the posts of the doors in vehemence, more thundering at the gates of mercy. I would sooner attend a prayer meeting where there were groans and cries all over the place and cries and shouts of... It's okay. Then to be in your polite assemblies where everything is dull as death and decorous as the whitewashed sepulcher. Oh, for more prayer of God, the whole body, soul, and spirit working together, the whole man being aroused and stirred up to the highest pitch of intensity to wrestle with the Most High. Such, I have no doubt, the prayer of Jesus was on the cold mountain's side. We can actually see this if we look around this text. If you're trying to figure out what something means, oftentimes it helps to look around the text. And scholars actually suggest this. This is not an original thought from me, rest assured. Jesus cleanses a leper, incredible power, right, to do something like that. Jesus withdraws to a desolate place to pray. And right after this, he's going to heal a paralytic. And this is what Luke writes in verse 17. On one of those days as he was teaching, this is right after he would withdraw to desolate places to pray. On one of those days as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. Jesus in withdrawing to be with the Father and seek the Father's presence is actually being empowered by the Father to be on mission This is not the only instance, by the way, where Jesus' prayer and power are connected in the scriptures. Do you remember just before Jesus says to Lazarus, get up! What does he do right before then? He prays out loud, Father, I thank you that you hear me. I know that you always hear me, but so that they may believe. Get up! When Jesus feeds 5,000, what does he do? He lifts up the bread to heaven. He gives thanks, and when he brings it down, he keeps passing it out to 5,000 until everyone is satisfied. He does the same with the fish. These are biblical, there, there are biblical examples, okay? We're talking about Jesus, but what about us now? Elijah and the widow of Zarephath, this story that would be so easy to miss or, or skip, Jesus sends Elijah to go live with this widow and sojourn with her and her son. You might remember the miracle where her oil is running low and he says, yeah, just keep pouring it out, just keep pouring it out and it keeps coming and coming and coming. It's amazing. But then after that, her son dies. And Elijah prays to God. Verse 20 of 1 Kings 17, he cries out, how about this for a raw prayer? Oh Lord, my God, have you brought calamity upon even this widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, Lord my God, 
Let this child's life come into him again. Listen. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah. Acts 12, Peter is wrongfully imprisoned. And what does the church do? They gather to pray. Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. And that evening, what happens? An angel appears to Peter. He thinks it's a vision, but it's an actual appearance. And there's a jailbreak. And he goes to the church, he, he goes to his people, and they're still praying for him as he's pounding on the door outside. Do our prayers have the ability to affect change? Yes, absolutely they do. Rooted in the presence of God, in a relationship with God. And what we're going to see in the end is, according to the will of God, submitting to his will and his purpose Peter Kreeft says, I strongly suspect that if we saw all the difference, even the tiniest of our prayers to God make, and all the people those little prayers were destined to affect, and all the consequences of those effects down through the centuries, we would be so paralyzed with the awe at the power of prayer that we would be unable to get up off our knees for the rest of our lives. There is power in prayer, as we withdraw to the Lord, we are empowered by the Lord. Now, a light skeptic might think, it, you know, isn't that just a coincidence? Like, was God not going to send an angel to, you know, rescue Peter out of there or whatever? You know, that's an interesting question. I, I love these words of William Temple, who was the Archbishop of Canterbury for a couple of years earlier on in his life, or at the end of his life, rather. He said, when I pray, coincidences happen, and when I don't, they don't. <laughs> One of my favorite examples of this is from the great man of faith, George Mueller. Do you know the story of George Mueller? A missionary from Germany to, to England, he opened up this orphanage in Bristol, and he had uh, no financial Support. He didn't go out and ask for financial support. He simply devoted himself to prayer and to faith in God. And one of my favorite coincidences, you would think it's some sort of a Greek mythology, but it's a true story. These, these orphans, it's time to eat and the pantry is empty. So what does George do? He sits the kids at the table. He himself sits down at the table they begin thanking the Lord for his abundant provision. And coincidentally, there's a knock at the door. The baker is there with loaves of bread. Hey, these are gonna spoil. Can I give them to you? And the milk truck has broken down outside of the orphanage. Just so happened. This is gonna spoil. Can you guys use it? And they, they feast. They receive the goodness of the Lord. We can look at it with a human eye and ask, ah, that's, is that a coincidence? That, man, let's look for those coincidences as we go to the Lord in prayer. Now, I'm not naive to the fact that not all prayers that we pray are answered in the ways that we would hope. Nor is scripture, by the way, I think this can be one of our greatest sources of pain and, and difficulty. In fact, uh, Catherine Wright, a New Testament theologian, remarks that in some ways there are things in our lives that would be easier not to lift up to God. 
We're putting ourselves in a place of vulnerability when we pray and say, Lord, would you? With the possibility that the Lord might not. We have experienced miraculous healing in our home. I've told this before and I probably will find its way into every (laughs) sermon I ever preach. I don't know. Our six-year-old was born with three big holes in her heart. And you better believe we prayed to the Lord. We prayed to the Lord. Yes, there are surgeons who do open heart surgery. They crack open. I mean, it's amazing. But Lord, no, would you heal? Would you heal? And the Lord healed miraculously our daughter. Praise the Lord. Yes. Okay. And we have prayed for a six-week-old in utero that had a heart that was not beating. And we prayed, Lord, would you bring life to this little being? And the Lord's answer was no. I'm not able, nor are any of the, I I looked for it. I looked for the answer (laughs) to just kind of pacify all of our questions and our longings and our questions. I'm not going to, I'm not able to give you that today. No, no one is. But I want to give you two encouragements today and then we'll move into surrendering to God's will. But the two encouragements are this. If you're praying for something and you haven't received a clear answer from the Lord, I want to encourage you to keep praying into that. We heard testimony from Molly Urso at the end of January. For 15 years, she prayed to the Lord for relief from chronic pain. And by the way, it wasn't just her that was praying. Her community joined her in that for 15 years. And the Lord answered and she was delivered and healed from all of her pain. What a testimony. Not only, yes, first and foremost, glory to God for the healing, but of this faith to say, I'm going to keep coming back to the Lord. I'm coming again, Lord. I haven't received a clear answer. I'm coming again. So that's my first word of encouragement. If you haven't received a clear answer, continue to pray. My second encouragement is for those of us, and it's probably most of us, who have received a very difficult no from the Lord. I want to encourage you to stay near to his heart. We might not understand why it wasn't in his will to heal, why it wasn't in his will to provide in a certain way. But don't move away from his heart. King David fasted and prayed for a week that the Lord would heal his baby child. And the Lord's answer to that prayer was a no. And what does David do? Oh, it's such, he's such an example for us. He's prayed and fasted for a week. The child dies. He gets up. He eats something. He changes his clothes, anoints his head, and goes to the house of the Lord to worship. I'm not naive to how heavy this is. But I want to encourage you to continue to run to the Father. Don't let that no close the door on the future yeses that the Lord will give and bring to you. We're going to end with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Well, sort of. Uh, In one sense, we can actually say that Jesus 
had a prayer that was unanswered, in a sense. Jesus, who cries out to the Father, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. This cup, this brutal death on the cross, being deserted by his closest friends, being publicly humiliated in front of this whole group of people. If it is possible, take it away, Lord. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. This is the last thing that I want to share with you today. This retreating into this desolate place and praying to the Lord gives you the ability to submit to the plans of God. And that's easier said than done. But Jesus here in the garden is putting into practice what he's preached. He taught the disciples to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I didn't understand or I've understood the gravity of this in a new way. And I want to end with us on the mountain in that desolate place with Jesus Because Jesus submitting to the will of the Father isn't something that he just does at the very end of his life. Jesus lived a life of perfect submission, perfect yeses to God in obedience, his whole life. And we actually see a glimpse of this in John chapter 6. This is another one of these moments where Jesus withdraws into the mountain. He's just fed 5,000 people, and they are very excited about him. They are saying, this is the guy. We've got our guy, the prophet. This has to be him. They're excited and they actually want to make him king. Do you remember this story? They want to make him king. And he could have become king, a kind of king that way. John writes, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again into the mountain by himself. Do you see how that withdrawing is a not my will, but your will be done? Man, would it have been easier for him to become king in this way? People are excited. They're in his corner. They're shouting his praises. They want to make him king. No, he resists that because he knows the will of the Father. Perfect submission. He would become king, but not in that way in perfect submission to the Father. The people would be shouting, but it wouldn't be, surely a prophet has come among us. They'd be shouting, crucify him. He would become king. A a, a plaque would be put above the cross upon which he hung, the king of the Jews. Perfect submission to the will of the Father for him. Friends, let's withdraw to these desolate places together. Let's withdraw and find this place where we can experience the presence of the Lord. We can receive God's power as we go out in mission. And we can submit ourselves to the will of the Father. Let's pray. Let's pray.